Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Welcome, makers, DIYers, and MYOGers. This is Avery. Hey, everybody. It's Jameson. And welcome to our 17th episode of Ripstop on the Record. Today, we are talking to one of our adventure sponsors, Bryce Gordon, who just got finished with a rad ski traverse of the Wind River High Route. That's right. Stay tuned to hear all about his adventure, uh, as well as check out the blog where you can see his pictures. But first, we have a few more exciting announcements. This one is particularly exciting because we don't do sales often, but for Small Business Week, we are going to be doing 15% off all of our DIY kits. So that will start Tuesday, May 18th and run all the way to the end of Tuesday, May 25th. And if you're interested in snagging other small business deals, go to our show notes and click the link where Garage Grown Gear has a list of 40 other small businesses participating. So it's a great time to stock up for your future adventures. For sure. And lastly, we'll be starting to release the podcast episodes on Wednesdays instead of Fridays. We want to make sure this gets in front of as many makers as possible. So we're trying to optimize the day for you all. Make sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and enjoy this one. Let's go. Thank you so much for joining us, Bryce. We are super excited to talk to you today and hear all about um, your trip at the Wind River High Route. So we're super excited. It's definitely a bucket list trip for a lot of people. And you did it um, in the midst of winter when there's still snow. So I definitely think there's going to be lots of fun things to talk about and a unique adventure that you did. So we're excited to hear from you. But first, um, just introduce yourself, who you are where you live, um, what you do professionally or for fun. We kind of want to know it all. Um, sounds good. Yeah, I'm I'm Bryce. I currently am in Bozeman, Montana. I've been here for a couple of years now. Um, I just finished up school last spring, so that was mostly taking up my time for the last couple of years. Uh, now I coach the high school bike team here in town and um, – yeah, and trying to do more jobs in the outdoor field and sector. Um, yeah, I do a lot of biking here in Bozeman, do a lot of skiing here in Bozeman, and uh, over the past couple of years, more and more sewing on the side as well. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> you coach a high school bike team. Is this like, I'm not really a bike person. Jameson's the bike guy, but tell me a little <laughs> bit more about that. How did you get into it? Um um, it's a, yeah, it's a mountain bike team. It's, um, structured the same way as the bike team I did when I was in high school. Um, it's, uh, it's a league that Montana has and the league is structured the same way as a bunch of other States, um, through a like national organization. And it runs, we run from like mid July all the way through October, uh, there's normally four or five races a year that start um, like end of August, September and October. Um, yeah, I've been mountain biking pretty much my whole life and have always enjoyed my like programs that I've attended. So um, it was a, a pretty obvious thing to get into when it started up here in Bozeman uh, two, three years ago now. Um, yeah, and it just it 
provides a lot of fun being out on the bike every day, showing the kids, um, showing them around, showing them the bike bags. Some of them are pretty excited about not just racing, but adventure biking as well. <laughs> yeah, we definitely, I'm from the South and we did not have that growing up. So I feel like I, <laughs> I missed out greatly, but that's super cool. And then what did you major in in college? Um, I majored in cell biology and neuroscience. It's one major, not two. Um, <laughs> It's pretty much MSU's pre-med course. Um, I don't have any intention of going to med school, but it was a really good um, foundation and just all things like biology and physiology. Um, yeah, so it definitely covered a lot of topics I was interested in. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to use it more in the future. So Bryce, I do, I have to pry here. You said it's a good foundation but where are you looking to go with that foundation? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm probably not going to go to med school, um, but I might go to PT school or okay. I have some interest in um, mental health. So I might master in mental health. Um, there's a chance I'll be going up to Alaska later this um, summer to start a potential job as a wilderness therapy guide. So that's not so that's more of like the human um like psychology side than the, the straight up biology side. But yeah, that, that degree covered like a large base of all of those topics. So I feel like I can go in a lot of directions with it, but those are the two ideas as of now. <laughs> so that major gave you that foundation is either like the PT, like muscular skeletal system all the way to like psych stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Gotcha. Like I, I didn't have to take a psych course, but I took like a developmental biology course sure. and a lot of neuroscience courses that um, outlined, yeah, like a lot of more of the human specific gotcha. brain workings. <laughs> gotcha. Man, yeah, I like the, the physiology and muscle stuff, I feel like I just get to use all the time, like <laughs> as an outdoor athlete yeah. um, and just like an active person just yeah. in maintaining my own body's health. <laughs> For sure. No, I'm, I'm totally with you there. The, I, I love this. We're already splitting off in so many directions. I don't even know where to tap on yet. I'm totally with Avery that I've only recently heard about high school bike teams. So I'm super interested to hear that from you. Cause in the East, we don't, we don't really have that. I don't like the, the no. most adventurous we get. Like I remember when I was living in new England, people have downhill ski teams and cross country ski teams that I've never heard of a high school, like competitive bike scene at all. So that's really cool. Yeah, they, they kind of, they, I think California might've been the first team. Okay. Um, and it definitely was a lot of like the Western and Southwestern states. Yeah. I think there's like 32 states in the country that have leagues now. Wow. Um, and they're like big events, like 600, 700 kids at some of these races. Um, so it's, it's quickly taking over. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, <laughs> So you're obviously a big bike guy, but biking is not what you did your adventure on. No. What did you do for the adventure? Uh, the adventure was a skiing adventure, um, although I'm sure the pack will also get used for biking adventures. Um, yeah, I'd say skiing and biking have always kind of battled for top spot as far as activities that I do. And luckily, they occur on opposite yeah. um, sides of the calendar, so they balance each other pretty well. Yeah, the adventure was a skiing adventure, um, really a walking adventure, big, big traverse. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So 
you said you eventually picked up sewing and we'll talk more about the pack and we'll talk all about more about all of these things uh, as, as they come up, but fill in the gap for sewing with us. Why did you start sewing? Um, my family is notoriously short. My mom's 4'11". I'm 5'6". So throughout my childhood, I was always, she was always hemming her pants and my pants and she taught, <laughs> um, yeah, she taught me how to hem pants from a pretty young age. And that was kind of all I ever did with the sewing machine. Um, and then a couple of years ago when I wanted to get into more bike packing and longer distance rides, I found a really nice sewing machine at one of the secondhand stores here in Bozeman. Actually, my mom found it when she was visiting and she told me, she said, you should go down there and pick that up this summer. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I picked it up right after school got out and then... Yeah, quickly started making bike bags, which was um, a steep learning curve. And then <laughs> since then, it's been a lot of bike bags, a lot of like fixing my own um, personal clothes and gear, and uh, yeah, like a couple small projects for friends. So it, it's um, become much more of an interest and taken up a lot more time over the last couple of years. It's one of the most practical kind of putting quotes around the word hobbies here I've ever had, you know, like most hobbies are for fun or, you know, they're just enjoyable, but sewing is not only enjoyable, but like you mentioned with hemming your pants, it's so reasonable. Like it's an amazing yeah. skill to have. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had a lot of pieces that I've like found at the thrift store that are like, like length 38 or, <laughs> or whatever, or they're like great pieces and they just have like a hole in them. And yeah. I'm like, this is going to be like a 20 minute fix. And then I get a brand new pair of, yeah, brand new piece of clothing or for friends. Do I've got a big pile of like things my friends want me to fix for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it's super practical. Yeah. <laughs> Once people know about that skill, they uh they they appreciate it greatly. <laughs> yeah. <expensive>. Yeah. <laughs> so what machine are you working with? Um it's an Elna 3005. Um it's definitely doesn't seem like the most popular brand amongst um either other others seamsters and like especially the outdoor yeah. world but it does pretty well it really only struggles um when i'm attaching like a couple layers of webbing or sure. like three or four layers of waterproof material but otherwise um it does it chugs right along yeah, that's yeah. awesome is this a machine that you picked up at the thrift store yeah yeah awesome. I mean, it's not that old of a machine um but i was still surprised it was at the thrift store and it was, it was a, it was a steal. <laughs> I love that. So when did you, when did this machine come into your hands? Um, four years ago now, almost four years ago. Yeah. This summer, I guess will be four years. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Works really well. We've got a, a great quilting shop here in Bozeman that has, um, someone that services machines. So you can drop it off like once a month and he has a ton of knowledge. So it's only about once or twice a year when I get to the end of a big, sewing project I take it in for a little love and it comes back so much better and he can tell what I'm working on just by how the machine is running he leaves like little notes about what he did and he's like it seems like you're doing a lot of layers of waterproof material you should try this tension and this spacing and <laughs> how do you know that just from looking at the machine <laughs> that's amazing. it's impressive yeah it's really <laughs> impressive <laughs> this guy's a sewing machine whisperer <laughs> yeah he's yeah he's in high demand <laughs> that is awesome. Okay. So 
again, I'm, we're, we've got so many avenues to take and I want to touch on all of them, but I don't want to forget any of them. So the first thing on the list is the adventure. So you did a winter traverse of the Wind River High Route, but detail it out for, out for us. Miles, vertical climb, conditions. What did that adventure look like? Yeah, I, I've gotten pretty good at the elevator pitch of the adventure, <laughs> counting it to people. Um, the adventure was supposed to be 14 days, and we were going to travel from Lander, Wyoming, which is um, at the more southern end of the mountain range, to um, the northern end of the mountain range by this, this lake called Ross Lake was a trailhead we were going to come out at. It's going to be about 90 miles, I believe. I don't, I don't remember the vertical off the top of my head. Um, and of course the route we laid out was really just like a guideline because especially when you're traveling in the winter, <laughs> you kind of just have to like, um, you have to do like a lot of route yeah. rerouting and accommodation based on what the conditions were and the conditions were, um, really snowy and really slow going. So we ended up doing about a third of that route and we did start in Lander and we ended up coming out on the West side, um, I, th I think we probably did 30 or 40 miles total. Um, and yeah, we, so we did about a third of the actual route um, and a lot less time in the high Alpine, but because of that, we got to do uh, a lot more skiing like off to the side and, and less just like traversing days. But we, okay. it took us four days to do our initial 15 miles that we had anticipated would take one full day. Cause mm -hmm. um, out of, out of our, our, 12 days that we ended up spending um, in the backcountry, it snowed for at least two hours for 10 of those days. And the first four days, it snowed like on and off around the clock, like four to eight inches every 24 hours. So it was just really, really slow going. Um, oh <laughs> really hard to pull a sled through. <laughs> so yeah, once, once we had that four day kind of um, slug fest at the beginning we yeah we adjusted our plans dialed back a little bit um and once we got into a a, a nice high alpine basin we did a couple of layover days and just um yeah skied some really great terrain around camp and then exited on the west side of the winds instead of at the northern terminus um on yeah like one of the western trailheads so ended up being an, an east west traverse instead of a south north traverse <laughs> Gotcha. Um, yeah, it was it was full winter conditions, um, which we knew we might encounter, but we expected it, it at least to be springy for some portion of the trip. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had yeah pretty much ten days of, of winter conditions and two days of of sun, um, <laughs> or two two full days of sun at least. <laughs> so I think the the obvious lineup here is you guys are getting dumped on. Was it? amazing powder was it slushy what were the snow conditions after snowing that much yeah i mean it was, it was it was a lot of powder we we didn't ski any corn the motto of the trip became there's no corn in the winds <laughs> um, there's probably corn now <laughs> and there was corn um we had trip reports from a couple of weeks before we went in and people were skiing corn we just got there for the last the last full winter storm um uh, or probably one of the last full winter storms of the year um, yeah, we, we had a lot of good powder skiing. We definitely had times in the afternoon where you were on powder, but it had gotten hot enough to kind of turn the mashed potatoes. Okay. Um, <laughs> we didn't have, yeah, we didn't have any corn skiing until we were like on our last day hiking out. Um, 
yeah and then some of our some of our our full days off where we got the ski kind of larger slopes and larger lines we had we had great powder conditions um it felt like a midwinter trip um that's so amazing yeah it was wonderful for the skiing it definitely slowed down the traversing and overland travel portion um but we yeah, we just adjusted and changed our our mindset and our goals and still had a great time and clearly Bryce I've been communicating with you so I know when you did your trip but will you tell everyone else uh what month or what week you went and did this traverse yeah we started I, th- I think it was the 15th um yeah I think it was April 15th the Tuesday and we came out on whatever 12 days is after that so uh yeah it came out like 26 27th um Awesome. So yeah, pretty much the last two weeks of April and it was pretty clear down in Lander and most of driving through Wyoming was pretty clear, but um, yeah, we, we knew a small storm was going to be coming. We didn't expect it to sit over the mountain range for almost two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Springtime. I have a rocking. question um, about food. So I did the Wind River High Route in 2017 and I think I carried nine days of food and I was just like, oh, it was, I mean, that's just the worst. So I'm curious, like, clearly you're planning for 14 days. Did you do any food drops? How did you handle that situation? Um, we, yeah, we carried 14 days of food. Um, food was the majority of uh, what was in the sled we were pulling. Um, we tried to keep the sled like moderately heavy. Um, so that our packs would be lighter. It's just, it's more comfortable for the actual pulling action. Um, and we use, yeah, just a lot of dehydrated food. Um, my partner works for like an outdoor trekking company essentially. So, um, we got to, yeah, kind of like take a lot of tips from them. Um, so yeah, a lot of dehydrated food, a lot of snacks, um, and just, yeah, a lot of weight in the sled. So the sled did get lighter as we went on and so did our packs, but um, we had, I think, 58 pounds of food when we left the trailhead. Because <laughs> it's winter, so you need, like, just a lot heavier food, a lot more just, like, fats and constant snacking and um, sugars to put into your body. So we had, like, seven pounds of cheese, like two pounds of butter. <laughs> and are you and your partner sharing the sled? Do you take turns pulling it, or do you each have your own sled? Um, we each had our own sled, and... Okay settled on for most of the trip until the sled got lighter um 20 minute intervals um because after that the sled like it just mainly it just puts a lot of force on your hips so even if your legs aren't tired your hips just get really tight and uncomfortable mm-hmm. having a heavy backpack on and then pulling a sled through the snow so yeah we would do like 20 minute intervals and um yeah normally whoever was not pulling the sled would kind of be a little bit ahead just because their pace would naturally be faster and then they get to stop eat a snack drink some water and then they'd put on the sled and do their 20 minute intervals it was very slow going for the first couple of days there's not a lot of chit chat <laughs> <laughs> and dumping apparently as well <laughs> yeah and dumping which is like nice in some regards because you weren't sweating and hot but it was also not nice because you had to like have your shell on and yeah. have a bunch of layers on so that you weren't getting wet and cold and then that just makes the double um, hip strap with the sled and the pack, just that much more uncomfortable, <laughs> but slow, oh, slow so process. We get our systems <laughs> figured out eventually. 
This is awesome, man. I love hearing about this. So I'm kind of, I love the logistics of a trip almost as much as the trip itself. So you were trying to cover a lot of ground, but you both had a sled as well. When you were doing those lines, would you set up a base camp, leave your sleds, go ski a line and then pick those sleds up and continue on? Did you stay in one base camp over a couple of days? How did that work out from like skiing lines to pulling a sled? <laughs> yeah. So originally we weren't really, we had, we had one steep slope on the traverse that we were um, like somewhat worried about pulling the sled. And we, we ended up doing that. That was on what should have been our second or third day and ended up being I think like our fifth or sixth day. Cause we took a break. <laughs> um, but for the most part, the sled pulling was fairly mellow skiing. And then, yeah, we would, we would have a layover day base camp somewhere for two nights and on that layover day, leave the sled and go ski um, without it. I think, um, yeah, we had one steep pitch, like I was saying, that we had to ski with the sled. Um, and we actually just um, trundled the sled down the couloir, um, okay. which worked and didn't work at the same time. So we like <laughs> skied the top part of this couloir with the sled just really carefully. Um, and then when it got too steep, we actually, we, the sled's normally behind you and you're pulling it yeah. um, with two, we like, we just use PVC pipes, but two kind of steering bars. Okay. Um, and so then when it gets steep enough, we just switch the sled to being in front of you, um, just like on a rope. And so you could just kind of side slip with the sled in front of you. And then when we got to a point where we could see down the entirety of the couloir, um, yeah, we just kind of lined it up and let it go. Um, there's a great video of that. And it, it went really well. Um, the closure on the sled was just a roll top closure though. And the sled like hit a bump, caught some air and it didn't break, but just the force like unraveled the roll top. Um, <laughs> so he came around the corner and he like just went out of sight when this happened. So we came around the corner and the sled and a bunch of our stuff was in this little snowball basin. <laughs> and it was like, seven o'clock in the evening at that point. So we were like, okay, you know, we got to gather all of our stuff, make sure nothing's missing. So it was a good idea. Just might need one more attachment point on the sled to keep the closure really secure. I mean, also was not anticipating it tomahawking end over end. <laughs> that is the <laughs> but, first. Um, that's yeah, the that first... was the only like steep technical thing we had to ski with the sled and we just sent the sled on its own and then the rest of the days where we were skiing um, larger slopes or larger lines, we just had yeah, day packs. That's the first unmanned yard sale I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a full, it was everything. I mean, like we, <laughs> we both had our, our insulated pants in there, like our, our camp pants in there. Um, we had a tent in there. Um, our uh, bunch of food came out, which luckily was all in like nice sealed bags. So yeah. we didn't, we didn't like litter food everywhere. Um, <laughs> We had a bunch of uh, USGS quads um, and those like came out and were just like, <laughs> there's a little bit of breeze. So they were just kind of like skittering around the snow, almost <laughs> like in a parking lot. And we were like chasing them down. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely uh, as far as like chaotic moments in the trip go, it's like definitely up there, but it was also quite comical. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love this. This is amazing. So uh, this is fantastic. I want to get to the making and we'll keep tying up loose ends as we go along. But what did you make for this trip, Bryce? 
So I made um, my personal backpack for the trip. And then I also made the sled that we used um, because we traditionally like you use a, a hard sled and then you just put a duffel bag on top of it. But we anticipated and did actually have to do some like boulder hopping and scree field walking. Um, and those hard sleds are just like not meant to be carried okay. like that. Um, so yeah, I made this duffel bag style sled um, with a really burly bottom um, and it, it did not float in the powder as much as we had wanted it to. So it might need a, a second rendition, um, but it, it was a lot easier to carry over the rock. So yeah, the pack I made, I think ended up being about 50 or 60 liters, depending on how um, full the, the top roll top is. And then the sled itself was like 70 liters. Um, and the sled was much more simpler. It's essentially just like a dry bag. Um, and so the pack was really like the main, uh, the main new project, I guess, for this trip. Gotcha. I'm so glad you talked about the sled a little bit more. Cause I was totally envisioning, you know, what you would like see. a traditional sled. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like people <laughs> on Denali, you know, carrying like one of those plastic ones just hooked up to their harness. So I'm so glad you yeah. mentioned that. And I can see it here in your picture. It's the black bag, right? Yeah. It's the black bag with like the orange roll top. Okay. Um, from georgia so we don't have sleds we just yeah. have like tractors um lots of tractors knows i'm like what is a sled that's why i was like how are you carrying this how is it working so i'm feeling very <laughs> oh this is so cool okay so how did you let's start with the sled what did you use to make the sled um, so the sled was, let's see that the bottom fabric, which was the really, the really beefy was the, the 1680D ballistic nylon, okay. um, which like, I'm glad we used cause we pulled the sled over like rocks, over sticks, um, and like just through frozen corn as well, which is really abrasive snow. Yeah. And then, um, the 420D double grid ripstop was, like the body of the sled and then um the slightly lighter uh what did i oh wait, the hyper d 300 was the orange accent roll top um so yeah those were what i used for the sled and it was really simple it was just um the really the ballistic nylon on the bottom and then um a layer of foam just like some stiffer foam i had laying around to give it some rigidity so it would track a little bit better in the snow and then the rest of the body was just like a really simple duffel style um, with the with the black nylon, and then just added the orange accent mainly so we could see it if we did trundle it, which we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then um, all like the the webbing and straps on that was the venom webbing. Okay. For 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 my, like the closure system, and yeah. then there's some daisy chains where the pulling, um, where the sled pulls attach, and then some other just like grab lines as well. Okay, very cool. So talk us through how you connected. Um, and for all the listeners, you'll see these pictures that we're talking about here on on the on Bryce's blog. They'll come out on Sunday, so you can see these as we're talking about them as well. But tell us about the attachment here. So first of all, how did you connect your PVC pipe poles to the bag? So um, this is just like a really simple way that people will do it for, for shorter ski trips. 
Um, you just run paracord or any other cord through the PVC. Um, mm. And we just have like, have like an extra waistband, um, just like pack waist strap. Um, so you like attach the paracord to the side of the pack waist strap, run it through the PVC. And then we just tied it off to, to carabiners on the other side. And then those carabiners just clipped to the daisy chains on the sled. And then you actually cross the PVC, uh, which helps with the steering. So the PVC comes off of the hip attachments and then crosses to the opposite side of the sled. Um, and then usually the most comfortable way to do it, if you're on, like on a bigger mountain, say like Denali, and you're wearing a harness for um, glacier purposes anyway, you can just attach it to your harness. But we didn't have any glaciers. So um, we just put the waist strap on first, and then you actually tuck your pack's waist strap like under the PVC. So it's not smashing the PVC into your hips. Um, so you kind of have one way strap, like sitting above the other. Um, and it, it works pretty well. It's, I mean, obviously with a, with a 50 ish pound sled and heavy backpacks as well, it's going to get uncomfortable. Um, but especially when the sled gets lighter and like, if you're on glacier terrain or like corn snow, where it is, um, easier to walk through than powder, it's, it's pretty comfortable system. What did um, you use for that closure on the sled? Well, did you do, it looks like you have two buckles cinching down on both sides. Is that right? Yeah. So it's just, it, yeah, it was just a roll top style closure okay. and then cinching down on both sides. And it could have, um, I like kind of spaced out that it would be getting smaller as the trip went on. So I could have <laughs> made it so that those closures could get even smaller and that'll be an easy, like an easy fix. I just have to change the attachment point, but um mm -hmm. Yeah, just a roll stop style closure. And then if you did want it to be um, more <laughs> trundleable, I guess would be the word. <laughs> um, a lot of like climbing haul bags have just uh, another strap that once you roll top it, it just goes over the roll itself and cinches okay. um, just so that, yeah, like if, if it's upside down or there's a lot of force on it because it's spinning, um, it won't, won't pull open. Totally. Okay. Gotcha. And then did you seam seal this at all? Or are you? So I've um, yeah, no, they both got seam sealed. I honestly can't remember where the seam tape came from. I've had, I've had this role for, for a couple of years now. <laughs> um, and I don't have the packaging for it anymore. So I don't really know <laughs> the brand. Um, but yeah, I've got, I've got like one of the, the small, one of like the small irons that has like just the little two inch head on it. Um, and it works really well for, for seam sealing and taping. Um, so I, yeah, I seam sealed everything that I easily could, or that seemed relevant. So on the, yeah. on the, on the sled, that was pretty easy. Cause it was just, yeah, it's just double bags. So it's just a tube. Um, the pack was definitely a little bit harder. <laughs> totally. All right. So that's, that's the perfect segue. Before we move on to the next question real quick, I just have a general question. Um, clearly you've like background in growing up and skiing and biking. Have you ever, is this something you've done for the first time that you've pulled a sled for 12 days or is this something you've done before in the past? Cause you. Yeah, I grew up in, I grew up in Colorado, but very similar. Durango is kind of like a smaller version of Bozeman. They both are small, um, college mountain towns. Um, I had never camped on the snow for 12 days. In fact, 12 days, other than like a river trip or car camping, um, is one of the longest I've camped, maybe the longest I've camped self-supported. Um, I've done 
a couple like overnight, two night winter camping trips. Um, one of them, we just, we just did really heavy packs. Um, one of them, we did pull a sled. Um, but yeah, this was kind of my main experience with yeah the winter cool. side of things. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable like living off my bike for a couple of days or out of a backpack. Um, I'm definitely comfortable like out of a car or a raft. Um, just, I really got lucky. I got to do all the activities awesome. <laughs> growing up. Um, but this was the, this was definitely the longest for, for a winter system style of camping. Cool. Yeah. Looking at the pictures of the sled, I was like, man, that it was really helpful one to see. And then also to think about having to trade off 20 minute intervals for 12 days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, the 20 minute intervals could be, they were dark places sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, they, no, they worked well. They worked pretty well. Awesome. You and your partner are still together, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's actually back in the winds on one of her courses. So she is probably still camping on snow just without skis. <laughs> wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, she's yeah, she's very strong. <laughs> that is so cool. Okay, so this pack here, tell us about. Um, there's a lot going on. I want to talk about all of it. So first, what was your goal with what you wanted to make with the pack, and then what did you use to make the pack? Um, my goal was to supplement my pack fleet, I guess, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> I, I have like a, a ski pack that I like for the most part, and I have a climbing pack that I also like for the most part. Both of them are pretty small. I don't really have anything for like multi-day um, backpacking, especially if you are going to be bringing along ski gear or climbing gear or any any technical gear. Um, so that, yeah, the goal was to make just yeah another pack for slightly bigger missions um, and especially for bigger ski missions. So I, I did have an, an avalanche gear specific pocket for my avalanche shovel and avalanche probe, um, specific ski straps. Um, but yeah, otherwise the goal is just have like a very clean, simple pack. I, I like a lot of functionality. I don't like a lot of straps. Um, and yeah, something that would be really light and really comfortable. Um, so yeah, I ended up figuring I might as well make something out of as much Dyneema as possible as, cause this would probably be the one time I'd get to use that fabric in abundance. Um, I feel like since even before I entered the skiing world, it's just like a fabric that any outdoor nerd knows <laughs> pretty well. Um, and I never, I never gotten to use it. I've just like seen a lot of uh, yeah, awesome products with it that my friends have. And um, yeah, I use uh, kind of all the weights. Um, the back panel was the 6.5 ounce, um, the melange with like the slightly softer, which is really great. The back panel is quite comfortable. And then the rest of, or the most of the body was um, the five ounce DCF. And then I used some of the really light 1.43 ounce for just like the last roll top that just gave me an extra like 15 liters if I need it. Um, and then, um, yeah, those, those were all the fabrics and then some half inch webbing, um, some normal flat one inch webbing. Bunch, bunch of buckles um there there might be some things some other features i add later on but i think for now it's it's uh, pretty set no yeah. the thing looks 
solid. It looks really nice. I love the, just the white face. It, it's clean. You know, it looks really clean. Yeah. I thought about, I thought about going for one of the darker colors, but I, I also, again, with the DCF, I feel like it has the classic, like really clean chic white look, Yeah, um, <laughs> which I like. I also like abuse the heck out of my gear and I go down to the desert a lot where everything just gets red and sandy. So like, <laughs> it'll be great. It'll be white for one day. And then it'll just be <laughs> a story of every surface it's ever been sat down on. <laughs> um, it's still fairly white, but there's definitely some, some smudges on it now. <laughs> yeah. How many liters? Um, I think, let me see. I think I have all my calculations. I think when I, before adding on the roll top section, um, like just the main body compartment, I had it at, like 52 or 53. Um, so I, yeah, like maximum capacity with the roll top maxed out. It's probably close to 60. Um, but it also kind of depends on like how you pack it, like packing it for ski stuff, the, the ski specific pocket, um, definitely like takes up some space from the main compartment. Um, but if there was no, yeah, was there, if there was no ski specific equipment in there, it would just be like pretty close to a straight 60 liter pack, I would say. I'm just looking at the picture that you have on your Instagram as well that you posted. And I really love um, the zipper that you did to be able to access everything from the outside versus like taking it all out and reloading that. Was that something just like a feature that you wanted to add to make it easier? Or did you model it after something like a piece of gear that you had that you just really liked? Um. I wouldn't say it was modeled after one specific piece of gear that I've had, but um, every, like, my ski pack has a back panel access, and a lot of fellow skiers I know have back panel access, especially cool. a lot of photographers, because um, it allows you yeah. to yeah, just access, like, the bottom of your pack. Um, and especially when you're skiing, if you just have a roll top or a top entry pack, and you need something at the bottom, then you end up setting everything on top in the snow. Mm. And if you have a back panel access, you just like flop the pack down on its front, open up the back panel. You can even like use the back panel as a little like staging area. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just like, it's like having a hood on a jacket. It's just kind of like a necessary feature in my opinion to a ski pack. Um, and then you don't usually see them on like a lot of climbing packs because climbing packs are more just like, hall bag style yeah. roll top duffel style so i kind of just want to combine it to like have a nice sleek tubular pack but still do the back panel access um and then the front zipper is yeah just for the the ski specific pockets awesome. and the zippers were really hard <laughs> <laughs> um 90 degree turns on waterproof zippers is <laughs> like the the crux for sure, I think of like any sewing project I'll ever do. <laughs> that was going to be my other question. The reason that I caught my attention was mostly because of that turn on the zipper. And <laughs> zippers are already yeah. kind of challenging, but doing what you did looks super rad. And I clearly have no skiing experience, so I'm learning a lot <laughs> about um, the skiing world. This is so cool. And then is, <laughs> the bag that you made, this is like all just conceptualized out of your own head. You just like put pen and paper and, and drew it down and put the dimensions yeah. together and whipped it up. Is that right? Um, yeah. So I mean, a lot of pen and paper, 
my my roommates and my partner were like, Bryce, are you going to finish it in time? Because <laughs> uh, I like, ordered the fabric, but it was just like sitting in the box and I hadn't touched it. And I was like, planning. If I do like 20 hours of planning, I'll be able to sew this thing in like 10. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a lot of pen and paper. I actually like cut out um, a little paper model at half size. Um, my mom's an architect, so I have like a bunch of her scales and I'm like fairly comfortable um, sketching and drafting. So I made, I have it. <laughs> that is so cool. So we're, we're really lucky where in a way, Avery and I get to look at packs all day, really, <laughs> but we get tagged in a lot of photos. So we see a lot of packs and yeah. I can say confidently that I've, I've not been in this industry that long, but I have never seen a zipper like that. They always go all the way around. They're always entirely symmetrical, right? Or just one side. So I am, it's got me thinking it's other applications that this like half zipper, right. Would, would be useful for. Cause I mean, especially in a, maybe in an ultralight sense, that could be a really good application as well. Instead of going all the way around to make that full you just, yeah. just take a right angle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely works well um, for the, for the base pack, especially I've, I've seen packs um, like skiing packs where they just have even just one side, like it's not even a full back panel. Right. They just pretty much have like a, a slash down, down one side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was just a lot of pen and paper. I made the paper model. Um, I went and got some Tyvek actually from the hardware store because someone suggested using that yeah. which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. It's, it's like kind of a technical fabric, um, but it has some of the same characteristics. It's like slippery. Sure. It doesn't have any stretch to it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of it was mainly just like conceptualizing and writing, writing down proceed. I've started writing sewing proce procedures, just like I had to do with like all my lab reports. Um, <laughs> I, I found it makes me so much faster if I have, like, even if I change the steps or like don't do half the steps I wrote down, if I still like try yeah. to think about what the steps are going to be. Which might seem like a no-brainer, but sometimes when you're pro when you're doing like DIY projects, you just like get in the improvisation mindset, which yep. can be really fun, but sometimes not always the best. <laughs> so yeah, this one was a lot of planning, and then the pack ended up being uh, it was like three or four afternoons of sewing. Um, I did like the back panel first, and added the zipper, and then um, added the the shoulder straps. And then like cut the body and added all the attachments um, while it was still like flat and two dimensional and then added the body to the back panel, um, added the bottom panel. So it, it's really only three panels. It's the back panel, the entire body is just one, two, and then the bottom panel. Um, and then like the roll top, top. But yeah, the roll top, um, it was great. I got to do some French seams on my roll tops and they like actually turned out really well. I feel like they always don't turn out really <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah yeah it was it was like two weeks of planning and four or five days of sewing <laughs> you're making this sound way too easy because one not only did you like not just buy a pattern offline and then cut out the pattern pieces <laughs> and then put it together you're like made something obviously for a specific reason for a specific use which was your adventure and then like fully customized it to like what you know that would work for you and 
you're making it sound way too simple for anyone <laughs> listening that you were like, oh, just three afternoons. Like, well, you know, it's three long <laughs> afternoons. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, no, but no. still, but still, that's impressive. <laughs> I, I don't walk away from my sewing table very easily. Um, I think because there's like, usually in projects, there's not like, natural stopping points no. you just finish one thing and then you're immediately like okay i can attach this like one yep. step allows you to do the next step it's a very sequential process so it's hard to walk away from so when i say sewing evenings i mean like six to eight hours of like all right i'm just gonna sew bye um a lot of the first bike packing bags i made i was uh making from old ski clothes actually so i got to do a lot of like deconstruction of um, technical like ski pants and ski jackets and that alone helped me a lot um just like with various seams and various like finishings on like zipper hoods um and like cuffs just deconstructing items um I've have found has been like a great teacher that's great working backwards I think sewing yeah. too just in general everything is backwards so it really helps to understand that <laughs> in your mind now that your pack is obviously finished because you've gone on your adventure, your friends that um, also ski and do things like this, are they like super jealous? Are they asking for you to make them a custom pack? Because I've just clearly never seen anything like this. So I'm like, now <laughs> I want to get skis and go ski. Like. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, a lot of them are, are like, are very excited about it. And we're really excited for me. And um, some of them have like, bike bags that they want made no one's asked for a backpack um we actually have like in my friend circle uh, a couple other friends who are really into um making their own gear and making gear for friends it seems to be taking i mean it obviously is taking off a lot in just the outdoor world um in general um but yeah they, i mean they were all psyched a lot of them have like smaller projects for me this the pack was uh a bit of a task for the machine. It was pretty unhappy mm. at the end. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if I would ever want to be making like a lot of packs unless I upgraded machines. Um, but yeah, all of my friends are, are like really supportive and they, they all think it's really practical as well. And um, yeah, like I said, there's, there's always like a lineup of, of cool ideas they have or things they want modified. Yeah. Um. I'm just I'm a little worried that when we post the pictures of your pack that everyone on the west coast <laughs> is going to be like calling you for a ski traverse pack because it's so rough uh, I'll, just, I'll just tell them what I did I opened yeah. source <laughs> um, they sell your notes yeah your research yeah. notes high dollar <laughs> yeah no I've, I've I've got my my sewing <laughs> journal and all of my notes and then down <laughs> Gotta record. I mean, I'll, I'll forget what I did for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk attachments here. So you said earlier on that you wanted to try to maintain a pretty mm. uh, streamlined profile, but yeah. for anybody that doesn't know, so I'm looking at the picture right now of uh, you guys setting out to the back of your truck there. You've got the sled, mm -hmm. your partner's pack, your pack all set up there there's a lot that has to go on a ski pack, right? I mean, you're looking for people that don't know, you got skis, the poles for the sled, you have a snow picket. Yeah. Um, you probably, you have an ice ax with you too, or? 
Yeah, there's a nice axe buried in there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> is there a shovel? That I had a question to ask you that. Did you bring a shovel with you? Yeah, so the, the shovel and the avalanche probe, which is essentially okay. a collapsible, like 250 to 400 centimeter, um, just like stick. Um, those both go inside the pack, um, inside. Oh. So in my pack and a lot of ski packs inside a, a specific pocket. Um, that's just for your avalanche equipment so that you can get to it really fast. Um, usually like the zipper pole will be, uh, like a lot of those, those pockets, the zipper pole will be like red or it'll have like one zipper that'll open from the bottom and then a second zipper or it'll have like zippers that open both ways. And then a third zipper that opens from the top. So like you always can open it fully. Um, yeah, there's a lot, especially in that photo that you're referencing, Jameson, there's a lot of stuff dangling from the pack. That was the first day. Um, we had to walk a couple miles on dirt before we got to snow line. So we made the sled really light that day. Um, but even on like the 10th day of our trip, I still normally had um, like my, yeah, the, the snow pick, which we didn't use. Um, <laughs> but in case we needed to lower the sled down anything or we needed to lower ourselves down anything, we had the snow picks, um, ice axe, um, sometimes my shell, if I wanted it accessible or if it just like during the beginning of the trip, I just couldn't fit it in there. Um, and then there's mainly, um, the straps are also just there for, yeah, carrying skis when you're, when you're boot packing. So there's four straps, um, two sets of two on the side, um, okay. just for your, your typical like side strapping okay. or a framing of skis. Um, you like put the skis yep. on either side and then you, you lash the tips together and then there's um a loop on like the bottom left side of the pack that is used for diagonal of carrying the skis um which okay. tends to be just like a more comfortable com compact way to carry them so then yeah. you just like put the tail under the skis through that loop and then i was just using the roll top straps and you latch the top end of the skis up by your shoulders um and they just sit diagonally across the back of the pack so yeah in, in total there's like five different strapping straps and I, I might add like one more for the top of the skis or um i might add one more on the inside of the pack just to hold the like sometimes if you put a rope on the top of the pack it's nice to just have something that goes over the, yeah. the rope coil as well that's that's brilliant though actually because i was i was looking at that i'm like oh man he's got to have i was thinking you're gonna have like six to eight straps but you fit all of those things externally with five five and a half straps which yeah i mean you lose weight really well but also you just you have to worry about pulling in different directions on their pack either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, with this, like with the light material and with how full our packs were, um, we definitely were both like very conscious of how we were packing them every morning, yeah, yeah. trying not to have any loose spots and trying to have like the weight very evenly proportioned. Um, yeah. I mean, definitely some uncomfortable days just because of the amount of stuff that we were carrying, but like on the, on the days where we were doing side trips and I just had, um, a, like a day's worth of gear in the pack it was like it was phenomenal it's definitely yeah. the lightest pack i've ever owned <laughs> yeah that is amazing man i just love looking at it. i can't wait to see your other pictures i'm just totally infatuated with the ones that i'm already looking at to take this all in <laughs> this is so cool yeah and there's there i did a lot of um just shooting videos with my with my like personal camera so i need to go through and um yeah screenshot those and edit all of those this, this is the hardest part for me. I'm pretty good at pulling my phone out when I'm out there, but then I get home and I like put them on the hard drive and then I'm like, now to do something with them. Now. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm the same way. Um, I have a question about another piece of gear that you sent us the photos of, and I don't think you made it, but I'm just curious anyways, and I'm sure everyone else is too. Um, so you have this picture and it's the tent, but you can barely mm. see the tent because yeah. there's probably like, I don't know, eight feet of snow around <laughs> it. But clearly the reason I asked you about the shovel is like, I was like, how did they do that? If they didn't have a shovel? So tell me a little bit about your sleep system and your tent. Um, we went, we went pretty late. Uh, yeah, my partner, for her job, they use the mega mid tent. So she's really comfortable pitching them. Um, and she's, and she's really like confident in, in how they pitch in weather. If you, if you pitch them right. Um, so yeah, we just had a mega mid, um, with no, no body, no bottom to it. Cause there's no, there's no bugs this time of year. Um, <laughs> and then we both had, um, like 18 degree, uh, 15, I think mine's a 15 degree sleeping bag and then sleeping quilts. Um, okay. which, which like adds, adds a lot of degrees to a sleeping bag. Um, that photo is from the evening after probably the worst snow squall we had. Um, we left camp to go skiing and within 20 minutes, it went from being like nice and lightly snowing to like, I couldn't see more than 10 feet in front of me snowing. Um, and we were above tree line, as you can see in the photo. So there's like, there's no trees for, um, any sort of perspective. So we immediately turned around. Um, <laughs> and it was a good thing we did because camp was, yeah, being like drifted in. We had set up the tent really well, but when it's snowing that hard, you have to kind of reinforce it with the snow walls. So we spent like two hours just building those snow walls around the tent. Um, <laughs> it was a good way to stay warm. Um, <laughs> and then like building, we built one big wall in front of the tent from the direction the wind was blowing to um, kind of create an eddy. Um, but in, in that like hour and a half or two hours with the, the snow falling and the blowing wind, it accumulated like 14 inches of snow in like two hours. So we were just full on panic shoveling. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, it finally cleared up that evening. Um, and we, we had like a beautiful night, but yeah, we, I mean, we, we were sleeping, um, pretty light. I think if you can bring a four season tent, it's definitely like going to be slightly more comfortable, but that, that tent weighs next to nothing and takes up really little space. And also I've, I have had experience. Um, well, I haven't, but I know people who have had experiences with those four season tents. If you get any like wet precipitation, like rain, they don't breathe really well. And they're not designed, they're designed for like snow and heavy winds. So I, I've had people get like really soaked in four season tents when it rains on them. Um, and since, we didn't know what weather we were going to have. Um, we, yeah, we just brought that one and yeah, it worked really well that evening, that night, um, after that snowstorm, we had a really bad cold front and at eight 30 in the morning, the next day, our thermometer was reading negative five, oh my so God. probably like negative 10 in the middle of the night. Um, <laughs> and I mean, the, the 10 obviously doesn't do that much for you then, but it didn't yeah, <laughs> kept, kept the wind out, kept the snow out. Um, we both slept all right <laughs> um more so just the next morning we're like i don't i don't think we can safely put ski boots on our toes so we got back in the bed and waited until like 10 30 when the sun finally hit camp <laughs> and then it flipped it went from you know single digits to like 45 degrees in a matter of like an hour <laughs> gosh which is just i mean it's, it's just classic springtime weather in any of the rocky mountains <laughs> um yeah that was your sleeping system it worked it worked pretty well and with those, especially like, since you don't have a bottom, you can, um, like dig down into the snow to give yourself more room to sit up. 
or like if you want to cook in there, which is nice. They do like heat up really fast. You're not technically supposed to cook in them because they're tense, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it mainly, they just like accumulate a lot of, um, condensation. So we didn't cook in there very often, but if you wanted to, you can like dig down in the snow and make yourself a little cooking patio. It's kind of nice. You get to like architect your own camp every night when you're cooking in the snow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also you're cooking in the snow. So sometimes it's like way harder. <laughs> <laughs> you're working against whatever like everything that you're on <laughs> yeah yeah you have like we have like a stove board so you like put the stove on a on a board so it doesn't sink into the snow and then we have like there's like this weird fireproof material um that's shaped kind of like a dome that you put over your whatever you're cooking like your your boiling water or your food just to like um add a little extra insulation but yeah yeah that's like the hardest part you have to melt snow for like an hour every morning before you can leave camp unlimited source of water but like the slowest yeah. process ever yeah. <laughs> and then you yeah you have to like bring more fuel in because you're using fuel to melt the water but um yeah that was our yeah that was our camp and our sleeping setup wow awesome yeah. So what was the um, hardest part of the entire process for you? Was it deciding on what you wanted to make? Was it deciding on the materials? Was it the sewing um, or was it just the actual adventure? Um, I mean, I think the hardest part for the sewing was definitely the zippers. Those were like <laughs> an hour of like pinning and taping um, before actually sewing um, and yeah, I mean, you, there's, there's zippers, so you kind of have to like sew them inside out and then turning them over to get, it was, yeah, that was definitely the hardest part of the sewing. Um, overall, I think the hardest part might've been just like the timeline, um, just like it would have been nice to finish the sled earlier and test it out. And then we would have known that maybe we want like a little Walmart sled to go underneath it for when it's powdery um, or the like, um the 1060 ripstop did really well but when we did finally get to like frozen corn snow that stuff is really abrasive um and it did start um i don't even know what you would call it it's just like fuzzy on the bottom now i mean this stuff is it's like for people that haven't seen this fabric it kind of looks like a really beefed up cordura it's like just really aggressive um and it's like soft and fuzzy on the bottom now <laughs> so maybe like we actually put a lot of skin wax on that so maybe like even putting a heavier wax on that would have been nice but the whole, yeah the whole timeline of like ordering the materials in like february i don't remember exactly when it was and then just like immediately starting construction was a little tight um and then the adventuring part i mean we maybe could have had more practice. We maybe could have been a little fitter, but overall it's just like really hard conditions and we're going to have to change some, some weight saving strategies and just like sled systems um, if we want to do the full traverse. But yeah, I think the hardest part sewing was the, was the zippers um, overall was just like, it was a very fast, fast paced construction, fast paced planning. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, the trip was like definitely hard at a lot of times but it was it was always really rewarding and um it was never like hard to the point of of giving up <laughs> um it was just it was like just good challenge every day you've yeah. got me thinking now about the 1680d i want to take like a swatch of that to the pavement for <laughs> for 12 days and just see what yeah. that looks like because I, I haven't even i mean i know what you're referring to in terms of being fuzzy like i get it but i also yeah. have never seen it you know so now i'm super intrigued 
this, I mean, it also in the last couple of days, like the road started melting out. So you'd have like 60 feet of dirt every like <laughs> half a mile or whatever. And we were just pulling it straight across that. Yeah. We um, couldn't be bothered. <laughs> but yeah, the, the 1060 rip or the 1680 rip stop. Sorry. We like, it didn't get any puncture wounds in it or any like cuts in it. It, it was just purely abrasion from the, and it was mainly from the last couple of days. Cause yeah. when we, when we got down low, we did finally hit corn snow. I mean, we were down at like 9,000 feet, like down in the trees. Um, and yeah, that stuff is, it's just like really sharp crystals. So um, yeah, but, but otherwise to... like the rest of it did really well. I got, I got one hole on the side in the rip stop because we pulled it into a tree. I mean, it, yeah, it, it hit a lot of obstacles um, as we were skinning and it did really well. And, and the pack did really well too is um, a couple, the load, the load strap attachment on my right side um, is just like showing a little weakness needs to be beefed up, but nothing catastrophically failed. And I discovered that's because I always pick up my pack on my right side. So it's always like, you know, and when your pack's that heavy, you like you put it on your, on your knee and then you like mm-hmm. toss it over. And so it just was a lot of force. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, otherwise we're great. I mean, and I don't know what else I'm going to use it for. It's like really beefy fabric, but um, I'll find something. Maybe I'll make like a a Dutch oven carrier. (laughs) We're going backpacking with you. (laughs) No, that is strictly, Dutch oven is strictly for car camping and river trips. (laughs) I think it's so interesting how you, there there's a level of objective danger, right. To everybody's adventure that we're doing where there's, you know, they're out there in some way, but I would definitely feel the most. Um, I'm impressed that you in, that you made something that truly lasted through 12 days in the wind river or on the wind river high route. Like that is, that feels like one of the highest levels of risk you take being, I mean, you said you got down to 9,000 feet, Bryce, I've never been above 9,000 feet in my life in general. <laughs> Well, that's all relative to the state you're coming from. (laughs) Um, That was definitely my um, largest concern was, um, yeah, the fact that I like didn't get a chance to really do a lot of testing on it. Um, Yeah. And I mean, I like, when I finished it, I like put a lot of weight in it and I hung it up, actually like hung it up on a hook. Um, and just let it hang like all night long so that all the seams would be stressed. And I would like, you know, if I failed to backstitch something, it would at least like show itself early. But, um, yeah, as far as, I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of like objective danger in backcountry skiing in general, spring skiing. Like we were, we were pretty comfortable with the route, pretty comfortable with all the, the snow conditions. But yeah, in, in the back of my head, I was like, well, if my pack fails or if the sled fails and we like suddenly lose like 50 liters of capacity between, you know, yeah. we probably the two packs plus the sled, we're probably at like 150 liters of capacity. It's like, that's a lot. Like, you know, we gotta be able to carry this stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I brought the speedy stitch and I brought two spools of thread to go with the speedy <laughs> stitch. Um, so yeah, I was prepared for catastrophic failure, but luckily <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> 
have us a few other logistical questions real quick before we start wrapping up. But um, your partner, Morgan, sounds like she probably works in the outdoor industry. I didn't say sp- specifically, but are either one of you like wilderness first aid or wilderness first responder? Or you just feel confident in um, your abilities to do that level of like backcountry ski traversing at that time of year? Um, yeah, there's, she, she works for Knowles. I don't think she'll care if cool. I tell you guys that. <laughs> um, <laughs> she works for Knowles in Lander, so she actually spent a lot of time in the Wind Rivers. Um, awesome. And so she, yeah, she is her woofer for that. I have my woofer for bike coaching. Um, both actually just got ours recertified this last year. Um, and then we both have uh, avalanche rescue training. Um, mine's getting kind of old. Like I had mine back in high school. Um, but, um, I'm not trying to be like a professional in the, in the snow sports industry. Um, so like, I will, I will have to continue to kind of update mine on my own, but there isn't really like, um, any more education that I would do unless I was looking for a job. Um, and she also has, yeah, avalanche rescue and, um, avalanche terrain mitigation, um, experiences as well. She grew up back in just skiing. Um, yeah, and she had, especially in this trip, she because she's been in the mountain range so often, she had like a bunch of knowledge of the route and kind of the, the types of terrain that we would be covering. Um, yeah, and we've both been doing outdoor outdoor adventures for quite some time now. Um, yeah, I mean, those things are definitely like that knowledge is definitely super important to have. And also like we were both really lucky to have access to it in our upbringings um, and we're both of the same mindset of like talking about the risk early on. And I mean, even if you have that knowledge, if you don't exercise that part of your brain, like you'll, you'll forget it as well. So um, yeah, I think we, we both felt pretty qualified. Um, If we had wanted to like ski some other more technical things, we might've been more out of our comfort zones as far as like technical mountaineering skills go. But for all of the skiing we did, we, we both felt pretty, pretty um, confident. Awesome. Yeah, definitely like a very important aspect of this type of trip is having that background. For sure. That's something that I kind of wanted to touch on too, because clearly I could tell from talking to you in the past and just during this conversation that you had obviously uh experience doing that, but I'm also a wilderness first responder and I wanted other people to know that there is obviously huge risk when doing a trip, especially like what you did, but having the listeners know that (laughs) you are more than qualified (laughs) and that you're not just like going from the couch to (laughs) skiing for 14 days. Cause I know people are going to listen to this and then see the pictures and be like goals, goal trip. So um, thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, definitely important. And uh, luckily, there's more and more resources that are coming out every year for people to yeah get into both backcountry skiing in general and the yeah safety and risk mitigation part of it. So, is there anything that you would change on your sled or on your backpack, Bryce? Um, something you'd do differently? Um, I think like the backpack, I might add a couple more straps to, but yeah, maybe just like one more internal strap. Um, and I, I might add a stiffer piece of foam in the back panel um, just to make, I, I realize like looking at some of the other packs, a lot of packs that have um, back panel access have like the frame goes along the zipper so mm-hmm. that there's, the zipper is always like stiff. Um, yeah. And mine is not, like, there's no frame in it. It's, it's just a foam back. So 
Um, maybe something a little bit stiffer to make that zipper a bit more accessible. And then the sled um, will probably have uh, a 2.0 version. Um, I think like a non-fabric bottom, yeah. um, like a sheet of plastic or like linoleum even would slide better and not abrade. Um, yeah. And then maybe some shoulder straps for when you do have to carry it um, like up and over. We, we had to carry it sometimes over like rocky screech fields. Um, yeah, I think that the duffel bag style sled is going to be something that's like mm, you have to selectively use it because it just doesn't have the flotation of a real sled. Yeah. But I mean, maybe you just like pair it with a Walmart sled and then you just put the Walmart, like carry that under your arm when you have to carry it. But sure. um, yeah, if I change, change the bottom of the sled a bit and maybe add some shoulder straps, but otherwise it was pretty pleasantly surprised by it. <laughs> Amazing. This has been so exciting to just pick your brain, to look at these pictures, to sort of vicariously live through you for the last hour. Uh, Bryce, thanks for sharing all this info with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me. I'm glad we got to cover lots of topics. Of course. So after speaking of this insanely exciting adventure, do you, is there anything more exciting that you have coming up maybe for the rest of this year or another trip you have planned for the future? Yeah, there's, there's always, there's always things. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> having a lot, having luckily like having a lot of sports that I do. And then also um, like growing up in Durango, you're close to both the desert and the mountains. So I always have ideas for both, both of those um, types of terrain. Um, I would really like to take this backpack down to the desert with my bike and do some bike supported, um, canyoneering there's like um a whole kind of quadrant right in the middle of utah that has um there's a bunch of really um highly concentrated slot canyons and they're all accessed by just like random double track dirt roads <laughs> so, oh, so cool. um, taking, taking the bike out there with um maybe like a back rack on it so you could carry like your rope and climbing gear and then um taking the pack pack would be perfect for that style trip um that's yeah. Currently, that's the only other goal for this year. But yeah, I'm hoping I love that you don't do just like you're not just like oh, I'm gonna go skiing and just do skiing. You're like I'm gonna do a ski traverse. Like I'm not gonna just do just a backpacking trip. We're gonna like <laughs> backpack and do canyoneering. That is so yeah. cool. <laughs> I I really like mixing things. Um, I, mean, I like doing like peer trips where it's just one thing as well. But um, I think. Um, everything's a little bit more fun when you have to, uh, when you either have to like switch sports or, or like, you're not just thinking about one, you know, when you add a second activity in, it just kind of like more gives your brain a break because you're not just thinking about like covering ground on the bike or covering ground on the feet. You kind of, you have a second activity to look forward to, but I, um, I like to abuse my gear until it's, till it's broken. So I'm hoping that this pack will just stick around for a long, long time and it'll, yeah, it'll tell lots of stories. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'll definitely go down to the desert quite often and hopefully it'll go on a couple more ski trips as well. Amazing. This is fantastic. Cool. Um, Avery, I think that's all of our questions. I think we've drilled him for everything we could possibly <laughs> ask him. And yet for some reason, I still feel like I could sit here and talk for another hour, but we won't. I know. I could talk for like three more hours. Yeah. Like just everything. Yeah. <laughs>
yeah, there's always more. I mean, I, I'll probably write a trip report at some point and maybe maybe a short video, which will be mainly just videos of us walking with the sled. <laughs> Very small amounts of skiing. But uh, yeah, thank you guys for having me. And obviously, thank you for the, uh, the opportunity to, to make some amazing pieces of gear. And um, it's been awesome seeing everyone else making their gear. I feel like upon uh like confirming to this project and to the to the sponsorship um that you guys had this spring i just immediately found like a couple dozen other gear makers to to follow and and like pick their brains and see what they're doing and we're all very obsessed with posting our sewing processes on (laughs) social media so it's great you just get to go like see everyone's progress every day yeah (laughs) well that doesn't uh we we get to see those firsthand and they're still exciting so we totally (laughs) we completely identify with you it's super exciting whenever we get tagged in those and get to see what you guys are doing yeah cool all right bryce well again thank you for your time thanks for sharing this with us um for everybody listening go check out the blog coming out on sunday to see bryce's photos and or videos you can check out the pack the sled and the wind rivers thanks bryce yeah thank you guys Oh, and then where can people follow you or your adventures? Um, my Instagram is at Bryce S. Gordon. Um, that's where most stuff pops up. I started a separate sewing Instagram, but I haven't quite figured out what's going to go on there yet. So most things, yeah, most things you can find there. That's kind of the only place I'm active. Um, and yeah. Hopefully there'll be, yeah, there'll be like a trip report or a short video that will be linked there um, sometime this late spring or summer. Awesome. Well, thank you again for sharing all that. We'll make sure to link your Instagram so people can follow along and see what you've been up to. But just again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and sharing your adventure with us. We were super excited and we can't wait to see what you continue to make the rest of the year. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. 